There's even an acronym, thanks to social media, uh, there's the fear of missing out, or FOMO. And it's that idea that um, there might be something going on and I might miss it, so I gotta get on my socials and scroll through everything to make sure I don't miss it. And guess what happens? Is you spend the hour on your socials and you miss it. It's the fear of missing out. But you know, uh, the grade five and sixes uh, recently, uh, just this last week, they had some good questions. And one of the questions that they asked was, what is fear? It's a great question. What is fear? So the, 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 the simple answer to what is fear is that it's an emotion. But that kind of doesn't help to say emotion because we don't really know what emotion is either. So why don't I break down what emotion is? And it's basically we can use some math. There are four parts. There's a thought. There's a feeling. There's what you would call a physical response, and then a behavior. So for example, the thought of missing out on something, oh, I'm going to miss out on something, that's a thought. The feeling is worry. Maybe your heart rate, the physical part is maybe your heart rate goes up or you, you get a little bit, heart rate beats a little faster, and your behavioral response, what you decide to do is you go on to Facebook or Instagram or uh, Snapchat or whatever it is. So emotion is those four pieces. But then the grade fives and sixes, they asked another really good question. They said, well, isn't it okay to be afraid sometimes? Isn't fear sometimes good? And what they said is like to stop us from doing something dumb. I love it. I love questions. I love the fact that they ask these. And they are onto something with that question. Because there are actually what I would call categories to fear. There are these categories to fear. One category is what I would call reverence or respect. And it is a constructive category of fear. Uh, recently, at the beginning of January, Kimberly and I went on a hike, and it was a winter hike, and we were hiking hoodoos. And we got close to the edge of these hoodoos, and there was snow and ice, and we were really high up. And suddenly, as I got close, and it was slippery, and I was really high up, all of a sudden, I had a thought that I could fall or slip, and then I had a feeling of worry, and immediately I felt something in my stomach. Like, I got close, I was like, oh, and I was like, and I started backing away and saying out loud at the same time, oh, no, 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 can't do it, because it got me. That is constructive fear. That is reverence, a respect for the height, a respect for the conditions, and it saves me, as the grade fives and sixes were saying, from doing something dumb. But there's another category of fear. The Greek word is phobia. It's where we get phobia, our English word, from. And I would call this a destructive category of fear. So, for example, you might be in school or in the workplace and you think to yourself, I really want that person to like me. 
But you also think, maybe that person doesn't like me. And so you feel a bit of worry. You feel a bit of anxiety. And so you can also feel maybe your palms start to sweat a little bit. And you decide to say something to another classmate or to a co-worker that's not very nice because you want the other person to laugh and to like you. And that is a destructive kind of fear. There was a time when Jesus began his ministry where he healed a man that was blind. And his parents were afraid of the synagogue leaders. They were afraid and they thought, if I say something true about Jesus, then the synagogue leaders will be upset with me and I don't want to have them be upset with me. So the parents of this man that were, was healed decided when they were asked, they said, we're not saying anything. We're not going to talk about Jesus. The fact that he healed my son and now my son can see. It's a destructive kind of fear. Now, the reality is that we're all tempted from time to time to that destructive kind of fear. It's actually a temptation. We are tested with it. Every boy and girl, every woman and man in our stages of life. It is alarming. It is amazing how much of our lives are driven by fear, the choices we make. We make choices because of fear. But God doesn't want us to have that, what I would call the bad kind of fear, the destructive kind of fear, that reverence and awe is a good, constructive, it's good, but God doesn't want us to have. So what is God's prescription for our fear? What is the antidote? What is the remedy? In a few minutes, I'm going to pause and you can ask some questions about this. You can stand where you are and ask a question. We had some great ones already. I imagine there'll be more. Or you can text or email your question to ask at westviewchurch.ca and you can send in your question that way. So we're in the book of Nehemiah going through this series and we get to this point in chapter 6 where they actually finish constructing the wall. And they do it in a miraculous time frame. They do it in about 52 days. Refurbishing some sections, and entirely constructing others, and they manage to get it done in 52 days. And how do you think the people that were what they were calling their enemies, the people that didn't like them, the people that were upset because now they were getting uh, uh, back on their feet and having their own... Uh, sort of city back, how do you think they responded when they saw this and heard this? And why don't you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6, get onto your, your uh, Bible app or your uh, Bibles in your hands and turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. Now when it was reported to Sanballat and Tobiah and to Geshem the Arab and to the rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and that there was no gap left in it, though up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, 
So I sent a messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? They sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same way. So these are the tactics of the bullies and the enemies of Nehemiah and the people of God. These, the tactics or the strategies, the devices, the skills that they're going to use to try and get at the people of God. They want to disrupt the work, stop the people from doing the ministry, from doing the construction, and they intend to harm them. And I think we should actually make a, a bit of a list of what the enemy's tactics are, his strategies, the tools that he uses. And so this list, we could start by saying it's often, it, the, the list starts with harmful, it's disruptive and harmful. So we're going to start there because we're building a list. We're going to find out exactly how this works. And when these initial attempts don't work, they can't disrupt the work, and they aren't able to bring harm to Nehemiah, what do you think happens next? We'll continue reading in verse 5. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. That's a letter that wasn't sealed. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to this report, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. There is a king in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king according to these words. So come therefore and let us confer together. Then I sent to him saying, No such things as you say have been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen our hands. So more ploys, more tactics from Sanballat and Geshem. And, and essentially what this amounts to is they create lies and they create falsehoods. So that gets added to the list. It's kind of like this. They have a letter that was not sealed, and they say, hey, we heard stories. And we heard these stories, and you know what? He also heard these stories, and now these have turned into gossip and rumors, and now we're going to tell the king. Does that sound at all familiar? We're going to tell on you. We made something up, and we made it up, and now... Because we said it, and because it's in writing, because it's in Wikipedia, it must be true. And now we're going to go tell on you. Lies and falsehood, things that are simply not true. And the aim is to cause fear, to get them worried so that they'll tremble and they'll stop working. Oh no, oh no. And because of these lies, we also need to say something about truth. We need to know about truth in order to be able to detect lies. And just like there are categories of fear, there are categories of truth. Listen, there are categories of truth. There is the subjective category of truth. I like eating raw cauliflower. And I like 
radishes uh, with a bit of salt. Do you guys like raw cauliflower? No. I heard that. Can I get an amen? No. You don't, you don't like raw cauliflower. Okay, so I think it's good. So it's true that it's good. You don't like it. So it's, it's, it's true that you... That is subjective truth. It's a category. But there's also another category. There's actually three, but I'm only going to touch on two here. The other category is objective truth. So let me ask you. If you go... If your class starts at 9 a.m. You with me? Class starts at 9 a.m. And you get there at 10 a.m., what's going to happen? If your class starts at 9 and you get there at 10, what do you think? You're late. If you get there at 10.30, really, you, you may have missed it. Now, you, maybe you don't believe that your class starts at 9. Maybe you don't even like the fact that your class starts at 9. But you know what? If, you're the, if you show up at 11 o'clock, you miss the Skippy class. Because it's true. It just simply is true. You don't have to like it. Objective truth. Objective truth doesn't require you to believe it. It doesn't require you to like it. It just simply is. And unfortunately, the enemy has been constantly trying to confuse and enmesh the categories of truth and create fear. There's a third category, and you can ask me about it. We don't have time, but it's called revealed truth. Oh, I would love to, but we don't have time. But there you have it, fear, confusion, and fear. So what happens? Let's go to verse 10. One day when I went out into the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his house, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, tonight they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Would a man like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived and saw that God had not sent him at all but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He was hired for this purpose, to intimidate me and make me sin by acting in this way, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets prophets who wanted to make me afraid. See, Nehemiah knew that he wasn't actually qualified or allowed to go into the temple. That, he, he knew the laws surrounding that. He also knew that that wasn't a place to go in order to protect himself or hide himself. And this is the thing. There's more tactics, more strategies from the enemy here. This word is called intimidate. Today, we would call it bullying. It's doing something, uh, saying a word, or being in a posture that causes another person stress or increased concern. And you, you come at a person and you try to intimidate them. And the other tactic, and this is building our list here, the other tactic is to taunt, which means to insult or to mock or to ridicule 
All of those things are tactics, strategies, work of the enemy. All of which were meant to try and get Nehemiah to break relationship with Yahweh. But this is the turning point. This is the turning point because Nehemiah began to perceive. He recognized two things. One is he recognized some of the things that were on this list. And he went, wait a second, intimidate, insult. That's from the enemy. That's not from God. And the other thing he recognized is this person wants me to do something that is against what God wants me to do. And he perceived and recognized this message wasn't from God at all. It can't be. Not if it's, this is what's going on. Not if it means turning away from what God wants. And it's interesting that when bullies aren't getting their way, like Sam Ballot here, he uh, recruits other people to help and get in on it. Isn't that just awful and just like him? But what happens in verse 15? Nehemiah didn't, didn't have anything to do with it. He didn't take the bait. So 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul and 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. It got totally rotated. Now suddenly, because they continued in the work, they didn't get persuaded. Now all of the people in the area, now they have what I would call that good fear, that reverence, that respect, and that awe because the wall had been done and they recognized the miracle that had taken place and that it was God, Yahweh, that was with these people. And all of a sudden, they began to tremble themselves. Because Nehemiah had awe and respect for God over and above any lies and intimidations that this other Sanballat, Geshem, and these prophets had. So reverence is the remedy for fear. Let me put it even more directly. Good fear is the antidote or the prescription for bad fear. See, the grade fives and sixers instinctively know that there is a fear in us. It's called reverence and awe and respect. And brothers and sisters, the enemy has been trying to get rid of it. And the Lord wants us to have it. Reverence, respect, and awe. And you know how reverence and respect and awe of the Lord, you know how that's expressed? How do we express that? We express that by being loyal to God. That means we stick with God. 
And when you feel somebody making a, a, a ridiculing or taunting or making fun, or when in your mind you think you have a thought of doing something and you know it's not what God wants you to do, you make a choice that you're going to be loyal to God instead of giving that other person or circumstance your fear. No, I'm going to be loyal to God. I'm going to, re I'm going to reverence and be in awe of God and so that that fear can get lost. I'm not going to give myself a chance to fear. So what do you think happens when they build it and they do all of that and the people all around them, what do you think happens? Happily ever after? It's all done? It's good? Look at what happens in verse 17. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, son of Ara. And his son Jehonanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Barakiah. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. The point is that actually all those tactics of the enemy, that intimidation and that uh, drive to try and make people afraid, it continued. So they built the wall and they mastered in that circumstance, but the enemy's tactics continued. You know they continued because they continue to this day. They aren't over yet. Someday they will be over. When Jesus Christ returns finally... He's going to put an end to all of that. It will be put to a final end. But right now, it continues. And so what we need to do, because of the reality that this continues, is we need to be able to discern and be aware of and figure out what are the tactics of the enemy, what are the motivations, and recognize what is going on. Now, we all can be tempted to have fear. But God, in the first place, is faithful. He is faithful to each of us. So in those moments when you have a thought and your anxiety comes up or your worry or your fear comes up and your palms begin to sweat or your knee starts to go like this, before you do something, you have a choice to make. And what I want to tell you is that in that space... Our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is with you, and He is faithful, and He is holding on to you. He is literally with you and holding on to you. And you can choose in that moment to stick with Him. Because there are times when we even fail to do that. There are times when we're with him, but we get so afraid that we let go of him and we do this other thing. But in those times when we let go of him, he is faithful and he does not let go of you. He still holds on to you. The only way for you to break that, once you are a child of God, the only way for you to break that would be for you to yank your hand, pull it away, and walk away. But there are times when we get so afraid that we actually say a lie, we steal something, we do something that's not right, out of fear. We make a choice out of fear because we've let go of his hand. But his hand is still holding on to you. He says, I don't want you to go anywhere. 
faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ is number one. And because we know that, then we can choose. We can say, Lord, I'm sorry I let go. But I want to be with you because you are solid. You are faithful. You are trustworthy. And I don't want to give in to fear anymore. Help me. Jesus, when he was on earth, fully human, fully God and fully human, human beings threw their worst at him, and the enemy threw his worst at him. Satan tempted him. Just after Jesus was baptized, Satan tempted him. Then when they finally arrested Jesus, they said all kinds of lies and falsehoods about him. They actually brought false uh, reports, just like what was happening to Nehemiah. They, they brought people to say lies, to say, well, I saw Jesus do this, I saw him do that, I heard him say this, and now they were telling on the court falsehoods. And I even wonder if he was tempted to fear. Hebrews 2.18 says, in the same way he was tested in all that he suffered. But it goes on to say that so he is able to come to the aid of all of us who are being tested. The point is that Jesus as being fully man when he was on earth had this relationship with God the Father. And he successfully managed to not let go. So he can help each of us when we encounter fear. He knows the way. That's why he said, I'm the way. He knows how to do it. So we can talk to him like Hanukkah says. And you can say, Lord, in this circumstance, it's true. I'm like, ah, help me. Show me. And by the same power of the Holy Spirit that helped Jesus be perfectly able to conquer. That same Holy Spirit will come and help us too because that's the will and the want of the Holy Spirit. It's what He wants to do. Okay, I'm going to pause and see if you have some questions. Tosh is going to come up. You know, I started this morning with a... Uh, I had a blazer, but by the time we started dancing... Uh, I took the blazer off. By the time we get into this whole subject of, uh, of fear and what Jesus was able to accomplish, I'm ready to go t-shirt, but I'll spare you. Uh, shall we start with the simple question first? Sure. Is there one? Uh, yeah. Well, maybe not. Okay. Um, but you teased them. And so we have okay. with an emoji, what is revealed truth, Gary? Oh, okay. Yeah. So what is revealed truth? There are times when something, I would call it like this, when something comes to you, you have thoughts that come to you. You know this to be true. You'll be in a circumstance and all of a sudden you'll be like, huh, I have this thought. Now, if we, in a little bit, we're going to look and you're going to see this list of, of insults and things like that. If those thoughts relate to that, you know it's not from the Lord, it's from the devil. But there could also be a thought that comes to you that is new to you that you didn't know until that moment. And the Holy Spirit gives that to you. And that's a form of revealed truth. 
The fact that we know Jesus Christ, the fact that we know a creator, is because he revealed himself to us. We wouldn't know it unless he showed that to us. That category of revealed truth. The Holy Spirit, Scripture says in the Gospel of John, that the Holy Spirit's will is to guide us into truth. He will reveal truth to you that you didn't know, but that you need and will need to have in that moment. And He will just reveal it to you when you listen and discern His will. That's, That's good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, Here's the next one. In today's world, where negative fear is everywhere, we see between the news, social media, family, and friends, how do we best balance this with reverence? And can you give some tangible ways to recognize what is happening in this world while still moving forward in reverence? Okay, yes, so good. <clears throat> you know, that, that's a, a good question. So there's a lot of fear in this world. And in fact, um, I would go as far as to say, and that's why I say you, we need to be able to discern. We need to be able to detect. Get your uh, eyes open and your ears open and, and be aware, be critical, and ask, what is going on here? The, how, what is the motivation? So when you listen to news, when you are on and you're scrolling things, what is the motive? What is the nature of what you're hearing and seeing? Is it meant to scare you? Is it meant to give you fear? Is it meant to cause you worry? All of those things. Because the world is trying to motivate you by fear. But that's the opposite of what God's desire is. He doesn't want us to have that. So you, we have to be able to discern this. So Mitchell, if you could pull up that list, it's like the, the second last slide or something. Look at this list. Familiarize yourself with this. Disruption, something that's causing harm, something that's a lie or something that's false. Is something causing you to have destructive fear? Is there something that's intimidating, bullying, teasing, insulting? Any of those things, you need to recognize that that's from the enemy to disrupt your spirit. Now the flip side is reverence for God, respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. The enemy has also been eroding respect so that nowadays nobody seems to have respect for anybody or anything. Younger players, I was just listening to the NHL commentators about the young players that are coming into NHL that have no respect for the older NHL players because the younger NHL players would think, well, I'm faster, I'm blah, blah, blah. But in, in any circumstance. But listen, build a reverence for God because He is the creator of the universe. How much time do you spend in awe of God? He is love, but He's not your boyfriend. He's the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe. He's the one who has the keys to salvation. He's the one who is perfectly loving and gracious and merciful. And so we build awe. I, that's why I love being with children because they have awe. They're just like, wow. Allow ourselves to have more. Wow. And recognize the dangers of this awful, de, you know, destructive uh, fear. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I have one more, a bit more, yeah. uh, like take this into a practical space, especially for some of our younger people in the service this morning. Yeah. Sometimes before school, 
uh, or work or whatever it is we do as we enter adulthood, yeah. uh, we can look at our day before us and think, I don't have what they have. Mm -hmm. I don't have this physical thing. Mm -hmm. Or maybe even finding out that your friends have hung out without you and not included you. Yeah. And so what does it look like for a young person to actively engage in awe on a Monday morning before school starts? Yeah, yeah that's really good. And you know, <clears throat> I, I will just say, um, even like, as a, as a preacher uh, for years, um, I, will, I will be a guest preacher and I'll be in a sanctuary and I'll be sitting in the front row. And there will be times during the worship service where I'm looking for where the exit is. Because I'm, I'm nervous and I'm not sure I can do it. And I literally look for an exit. Like where could I, could I just go? And even about being included, um, uh, Kimberly and I feel that. So I get it. Mm -hmm. You know, not being included. And so how do we build an awe and a reverence for God? I, you know, there's this passage that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so there are times, like on a Monday morning, and I'm feeling really uh, anxious about going to school because kids have what I don't have. That thought, for example, every time I hear someone else preach, I go, man, they're so good. I, I wish I could. We need to put in the effort to remind ourselves that you are loved. You are created by God. He knows your name. You can never be more loved than you are right now. We don't hold God up. So I'm going to just quote this phrase here. We don't hold God up, so we cannot let him down. So we need to make the effort to remind ourselves, I am a child of God. God loves me. God is with me. God is for me. And no, I'm not George, but I'm Gary. And I don't have what they have, but he made me for a reason. He made me for a purpose. He wants me to contribute what I have. So you've got to do that work of remembering the truth. Fight for the truth in your thoughts and in your feelings. Yeah, it's good. Thank you. That's great. Fabulous. There's no more questions in the okay. inbox. Yeah. Do we want to open it up? Any, you want to stand and ask a question? Kids are doing great, hanging out. They don't want okay, to. Okay, cool. Then let me, let me wrap this up. Thanks, Tosh. Good questions. Um, you know, it's about getting real. Like, what we're doing here on Sunday mornings isn't hypothetical, it's not theoretical, it's not strictly philosophical, it's actually real. It needs to land in your everyday. So I'm going to ask the music team to come up, and as I do, I want to leave you with two things. One is, having heard what we've heard, f friends, brothers and sisters, young people, number one, you need to choose. You need to choose how you're going to conduct your life. You're going to, in between, so there's a thought, a feeling, a behavioral 
a, a, a physical manifestation, you know, and then there's a behavioral response. And in there, before the behavior, is a gap called a choice, and you get to choose. And I want you to see this list again. Because you need to choose. If you're doing things that are on this list, you are doing the work of the enemy. If you are insulting or intimidating or any of those things, then you're doing the... And, but, so, so choose not to. But also choose to recognize when you see these things, they are not from God. God doesn't condemn you. He doesn't insult you. God's not trying to intimidate you. So that, those thoughts and those feelings of that kind of fear and all that, that's not from God. You got to choose. And the second thing is tune your fear. There is a good fear. We all know it. It's called reverence and respect. Little kids were saying, well, I fear sharks. Makes sense. <laughs> I fear bears. Good. We're not, God doesn't say get rid of all that. He says tune your fear so that there's proper reverence and respect. And it begins with reverence and respect for God and then the Therefore, the displacement of our other kinds of fear. you got to tune your fear. Amen. Let's stand together. I need the kids again, all up front, youth leaders. Uh, if you can lead us into these actions of the song. <laughs> 